Welcome to the Ben Dice COC podcast, where we make content for those who are seeking to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you. So welcome to the virtual service. It's odd doing it virtually as always. Always have to give the disclaimer up front. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, if you'd like to help contribute to, to our mission, to what our church is doing in Bend, Oregon, then please visit the donate page on our church website. Thank you all just for tuning in, being with us, whether it's on the YouTube premiere or you're watching it down the road. If you are watching it currently with us, then you know that we're going through our Pursuit of Passion series through the book of 1 Peter. And specifically with that, under that umbrella of pursuing our passion, we've got to bring another word to the table. We've been defining passion as to suffer, to suffer for what you love, to suffer for Christ in our case. But there's another word, compassion. Compassion is to, to suffer for others, to actually see their suffering and sympathize with their suffering, to take pity to try and empathize with what they're going through, to give them a helping hand. And so that's more of our focus today, actually, rather than passion, is compassion, loving one another, loving one another sincerely, and loving one another earnestly and fervently, as it says in verse 22 of 1 Peter. So you can open to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're, we're finishing out the chapter today. And we're, we're centering in on that imperative that Peter gives us today. Love one another sincerely, a brotherly love, and this from a pure heart. We're going to look at how you cultivate that, how you sustain that, what this love looks like, and what it doesn't look like. But before we do that, I, I got to tell a story, something to, to lift our spirits up from these dark times. And it actually took place a, a month ago, this story, during lockdown, quarantine, COVID-19, as Easter was approaching, they, as we all know, it's a pandemic, it's happening worldwide. The city of Jerusalem has a different approach than the U.S. has an approach in locking things down and sending people into quarantine. In Jerusalem, they set up 13 hotels where if you had COVID-19, you would check into this hotel and you don't check out until you have two negative cases. So one hotel in particular called the Dan Hotel, it, it got this new nickname as Hotel Corona. And slowly this hotel became nationally famous and then internationally famous because people were posting on their social media from this hotel all of these fun things that were happening, things other people weren't allowed to do during quarantine. They are posting about having yoga classes and, and Zumba classes and haircuts and workouts and partying with each other and singing and putting on shows and playing music and having so much fun, putting it all on social media, it got picked up by international outlets. But what was interesting is the people checking into this hotel. You had Palestinians and Israelis. You had Jews and Muslims. You had ultra-Orthodox Jews. And you had atheists. You had secular Jewish people. All of them under one roof. Some of them roommates. I mean, can you imagine if some of them fighting over the remote control? Who gets to pick the next channel? Or not even pick a channel if you have a conviction where you can't use technology. 
So all of this concludes when the Seder meal comes, when Passover comes for Easter. The ultra-Orthodox Jews have some very strict rules about this. And the younger Israelis, they wanted to post it on social media. They wanted to, to show the world what was going on. So, so they conceded first. They said, hey, we won't use our technology. And then the hotel management decided, you know what? Why don't we put up a partition, a wall down the center of the cafeteria? We, just, we have to divide them. The ultra-Orthodox Jews said, okay, that sounds great. And they started to have the Seder, the Passover meal. But then as some of them were walking into the cafeteria, they just broke down in tears. Said, I, I can't do it this way. I can't have this meal. They demanded that they not tear down the wall, but move the wall. They demanded that they celebrate the Passover together. And it was amazing, this pandemic, how it brought people together. People that had tribal blood feuds going back for centuries. They came together, they had a unity, they had a love, they were simply kind and good to one another. Man, that's the kind of world we want to see. Uh, unfortunately, over time, the Dan Hotel, it's no longer used for COVID-19 patients, and the other 12 hotels in Jerusalem, they did segregate people around. They said this unity thing will never work, we have to split people up, so we'll send Jews over here. We'll send Palestinians over here. And they separated and segregated people based off of ethnicity, culture, religion. That's not the kind of world we want to see, a divided world. And I share that because it shows a vision, a glimpse of what could be. What could happen if we're loving one another deeply, earnestly, fervently, sincerely? We don't want to have the divided hypocritical word world. Or put another way, we don't want to have the first Peter chapter 2 verse 1 world. Hypocritical, envious, uh, malicious towards one another. That's first Peter chapter 2 verse 1. We do want to have first Peter chapter 1 verse 22, loving one another sincerely. So how do we cultivate this love? Where does it start? How does it grow? Well, let's pick up our reading. And we're actually going to start in verse 21. It says, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Remember that, faith and hope in God. Verse 22, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Wow. Peter gives the imperative, love one another. But it's embedded in this deep bedrock of how to cultivate it. In verse 21 and verse 23, how do you have that love that's in verse 22? Well, Peter talks about it, but it's worth talking about the author real quick. Peter wasn't the perfect loving guy. Yes, he was an apostle of Jesus. Yes, he was a leader in the first century church. Yes, he just wrote to us a few verses ago about how God doesn't discriminate. And though God doesn't discriminate, we do. Peter actually did. Peter struggled with bias 
prejudice, social pressures when it came to Jew and Gentile. Uh, so just going into that, going into this imperative command, it's worth noting we're going to struggle with it. It's worth noting that Peter struggled with it. But Peter also overcame it. When God gives us an imperative command like this, he gives us the ability to live it out. He gives us the power to fulfill that command. So, all right, let's get into that bedrock. How do we cultivate this love? Peter had to cultivate this love. He had to grow in it. Well, verse 21, we place our hope and faith in God. Are you following me? Okay, that, that seems like a first step. But also says having an obedience to the truth at the start of verse 22. Now, if you're following me, let's pick it up. Verse 23. Since you have been born again. Man, what are we born again to? How, what truth are we obedient to? And placing our hope and faith in God. Well, it all wraps up very neatly at the end of the verses here. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It endures forever. It's sustainable. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. The word is the good news. The truth is the good news. Man, this good news, this is the gospel. That's what we have to be obedient to. The gospel that Jesus is the Son of God, that we have to make Him Lord, that is the truth to be obedient to. That's, as believers, that's what we place our hope and our faith in. It's Jesus who saves us by faith. Now, that, that all might seem elementary. It's just worth noting that that's the bedrock around this verse. Why is it worth noting that? Well, it says that this word is an imperishable seed. And it's a very subtle difference. You have to be careful when it says, hey, having an obedience to the truth. If you're like me, you want to run towards that. You want to say, okay, I'm just going to obey. I know that if I'm going to obey, then I just need to love people. All right, so let's white knuckle it. I'm going to obey. I'm going to love people. And yeah, obeying the gospel, the two greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor. Amen. But I got to be careful when I run to that, when I cultivate that, not to just reach for the fruit, and a fruit of the Spirit is love, but to reach for the root, that imperishable seed, the Word of God, the Gospel. It may seem elementary, but it's worth cultivating. It's worth reviewing over and over again, a daily renewal in the Gospel. It's the Word that endures forever. Our obedience, we might struggle in it, but if we're rooted in the Word, our love will be the fruit. Quite simply put, to have a brotherly love, you have to be a brother. You have to become a brother. You have to be born again. You have to have a purified soul putting your hope and faith in the gospel. That's step one, but then you can't skip over cultivating, having that enduring word, growing in your heart, producing the fruit of brotherly love. I suppose I put it this way. Love isn't just an obedience to the truth. Love is an overflow of being obedient to the truth. It's not what we're going after. It's a byproduct. It's both and. All right, a few more verses. Just to reinforce that we have to go back to the bedrock, back to the word to cultivate this love. First Peter chapter 4, verse 17. It says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, 
What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Those who are unbelievers are those who do not obey the truth, the truth, the word, the gospel of God. Acts chapter 15, verses 8 through 9. They're dealing with the council in Jerusalem. They're looking at circumcision. And there's a lot of tension and social pressure between Jew and Gentile. So we pick it up in verse 8. It says, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Our faith and hope in the gospel. That's God purifying our souls. That's our obedience to the truth. And I, I love that God brings up that point in Acts chapter 15, because again, God reaffirms he does not show discrimination. But you know, today I really want to follow in the footsteps of Peter, Peter who struggled with this, and as a leader was the first to admit it, I need to start by looking at myself, where have I struggled in discrimination? Where have I not lived up to this brotherly love? Now that we've covered how to cultivate it, let's look at how to live it out, how to put this love in action. Verse 22, have a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. What does this look like? Well, we're going to look at both of those adjectives for sincerely and earnestly. Both of those Greek words. The first one, anhypocritos. Now that sounds familiar, right? The, the Greek word for sincerity, anhypocritos. Hypocritos, hypocrite. Not in a hypocritical way. To, to not be a hypocrite is to be sincere. It, it's I think amazing. I, I got to say that this word for sincere, this Greek word, only appears one other time in the New Testament. And that's over in Romans 12. I think it's amazing because in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter's talking about not conforming to the world, but conforming to holiness. Not conforming to our former passions and lusts, but conforming to holy conduct. Well, the word that Peter uses in the first chapter for conformity, that Greek word is only used one other place in the whole New Testament, and that's Romans chapter 12. You know, I enjoyed watching the uh, unity devotional that Disciples Today put on for our movement to speak about diversity. And they had a whole panel of speakers, but all of them in speaking about race and speaking about diversity, mourning, um, at least three of them, and I believe four, referenced Romans chapter 12 to talk about how we should act during this time and how we should take action. They referenced it because Romans 12 speaks about love in action. And I want to read that real quick. So when we look at a sincere love, we're going to go to the other reference in the New Testament, Romans 12, that mentions sincere love. And we're just going to take a moment to read through it. In fact, I'll, I'll give you a moment pull out your Bible, please read through it with me. I'll be reading in the, the ESV. But when we consider how to take action, it really starts right here. Romans chapter 12. First in verse 2, I'll, I'll just mention for the other reference of conformity. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then in verse 9, love must be sincere. Same Greek word, Peter used. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. 
Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is love in action. You know, these days, a lot of people are calling us to action. Of course, Many of us have seen the news. Many of us are grieving, are mourning. If you're like me, you've probably been brought to tears almost daily with emotions, seeing at what our world is going through with racial injustice right now, the murder of George Floyd and many others. And when I consider how to act towards these situations, you know, I go online and I admit I've gotten in a few arguments with people. I don't know why. I'm I'm a grown man, but for some reason I think I can win a debate online. You just can't. And all of them devolve to, you know, you're in sin, no you're in sin, no, no you're prejudice, no you're prejudice. But there's no winning these debates online. I gotta guard myself from that. Uh, but one thing that keeps coming up online and that I hear from others is they keep saying that prayer isn't enough. When people say we need to pray, there's a reaction of prayer isn't enough, you need to act. And I'll say this, there are many ways to take action, and there are many actions that one should take when it comes to injustice. But I'm going to argue that prayer is an essential one. Here's why. That word for having a fervent love for one another, for having an earnest love for one another, it's only used a few other times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's used when people are in mourning. When they're passionately crying out to the Lord, they're tearing their clothes, they're, they're fervently doing this, they're earnestly doing this. It's used in the New Testament only twice. Once in Acts chapter 12, when the believers are praying through the night that Peter won't be sentenced to death, that he'll be freed from prison. And they pray through the entire night. It comes up again, this word for fervent, in Luke chapter 22. When Jesus is praying at the foot of the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says in that verse that he's praying so profusely, he's sweating, and it looks as if he's bleeding, he's sweating so much, fervently in prayer. So yes, I, I agree that if the only action you're taking is a, a dismissive, quick thought, or, or a quick prayer, yeah, that's not enough. But I would argue that prayer is essential. And I would encourage a fervent prayer. Uh, are you willing to pray like Jesus did, sweating through it, crying through it, 
mourning through it, crying out to God? Are you willing to pray through the night with other believers? Prayer is an essential step that you can take in loving others. When you look at Romans chapter 12, there's many actions that we can take to stand up to injustice, but it's by loving others. You know, this doesn't come naturally. Even verse 22, it repeats love a couple of times. First time it says, hey, have a brotherly love. It uses the Greek word phileo or Philadelphia, have a brotherly love. But then it uses agape, have a self-sacrificing love. And just by that sequence, I would argue that a love has to grow deeper. Now, Jesus said in the Gospels that because of an increase of lawlessness and wickedness, the love of man will grow cold. As disciples, we have to combat that. We know that that can happen in the world. Love can grow cold. We need to grow our love, deepen our love, cultivate our love. You know, when we first meet each other, we're at that phileo stage. We, we don't know a lot about each other. But as we hear one another's stories, as we seek understanding, as we have a brotherly love towards one another, we can deepen that to have an agape love for one another, an earnest and fervent love for one another. The kind of love that you'd pray through the night, the kind of love that you'd cry out to God for. You know, the conformity to holy living that Peter's talking about, it isn't complete without this love. So we're very challenged in these times. It's very frustrating because we're meeting virtually. We're very isolated and separated from one another. How do you love one another through, through the internet? Just by liking photos or following? No, that, that doesn't do it. We need to figure out how to use the technology. We need to figure out how to practice hospitality, even in this time of social distancing. This love and acting on that love is a requirement in our holiness, is an overflow of our holiness at the same time. We're not off the hook if we're meeting virtually. You're not off the hook if you're in a church, family, community, it's full of jerks, it's not dependent on their character. You're not off the hook if you're just not an affectionate person. If your personality is getting in the way of you obeying this command to love, then you may need to change your personality. Become an affectionate person. You know, Romans 12 put this affection and honor right next to each other. Honor one another above yourselves. Uh, I appreciate our brother Ron on Mother's Day. He was speaking about honor and how we bestow a worthiness upon others and honor upon others that they themselves don't deserve. We don't judge or discriminate and say, hey, they haven't earned this honor. No, we bestow honor upon them as much as it depends on us. Are we discriminating in our honor? Are we discriminating in our love? I, I had to ask myself these questions, and I have to say truthfully, I have. I have many a time. I've struggled with this. Remember, God did that for us. We were infinitely dishonorable. He chose to sacrifice himself to bestow honor upon us. And when we do this for one another, it bestows honor back to Him. It glorifies Him. It, it shows the world through our love for one another that we're kingdom citizens. The church didn't only grow because they were persecuted and scattered. The church in the first century grew because they had a love for one another that was not like the world. It was non-conformity. You know, I have to share a story about my own shortcomings in this honor 
in this brotherly love. I remember back when I, I was naive, and even though I didn't think I was naive, in campus ministry days, I, I had a roommate. He was a brother who moved in from another church, and he led one of our Bible talks in the church, and he wanted to be an evangelist. And we'd share our faith together. We were co-workers in the Lord. We'd wake up together, have our quiet times together. We're very friendly with one another. Uh, I'll call him Stan, just for the sake of protecting his identity. And over time, Stan, uh, he, I suppose, you know, his holy conduct, his way of living, it, it went back to the world, back to some of those lustful passions. He ended up uh, owing me about 700 plus dollars in rent, and he ended up stealing more than $500 from our other roommate to try and make up the rent and pay off other debts. He committed a, a felony right there. He stole from him. But not only that, we found out that he had been having a secret relationship with a sister in the church. And, and he had con convinced the sister to, to fall into sin with him and to even be willing to, to run away with him. And I remember going with my evangelist and my brothers to, to kick him out of my apartment, but also to disfellowship him from the church. And we're going in there with our scriptures and to share what had to happen, calling him to repentance because we sincerely wanted him to stay in the fellowship. And I remember sitting there with Stan, we met at McDonald's and, and Stan just breaking down in tears and saying, Joey, help me, you know me, this isn't me, the devil just got in there, this isn't me, I'm, I want to be your friend again, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I know I don't deserve it. He was breaking down in tears. I, I remember, for whatever reason, the, the thought came to me, and it, it took a lot within me to, to say this, but I, I said, hey, Stan, I forgive you. I just want to be able to call you my brother again. And in the disfellowship process, we'd given him clear steps of repentance to take to not only restore him, but the sister in the Lord. He chose not to go with those steps. He chose to run and he ran away. Later down the road, I remember we're all at a, a restaurant, and we're sitting in a booth, and, and there was Stan on the other end of the restaurant. And I, I did something quite shameful. I remember turning to the other disciples and going, oh my gosh, that's Stan over there. Guys, that's Stan. Oh my goodness. Don't look at him. No, don't let him see you. Don't look. You know, you know how we do that. And, and for some reason, I was so separated, I was so judgmental, not, not bestowing honor upon him. My heart had grown cold. I had started to judge, to, to resent him for choosing not to remain in the church. Now, I, I had some bad motivations that crept in my heart. And my discipler got up from the table, he went straight over to Stan, and he gave him a huge hug. That was my shortcoming that day. I didn't have the brotherly love in my heart. My discipler did. He did the right thing. Something I couldn't bring myself to do that day. You know, praise the Lord, years later, Stan and I stayed on, you know, civil terms, Facebook friends. We knew of each other and what we were doing. But because other brothers continued to love Stan, continued to reach out to Stan, Years later, Stan came back to the church, he was restored to the Lord, and that sister was restored with him.
I, I don't think that would have happened if there weren't disciples willing to continue to bestow honor upon him, willing to continue to show him a brotherly love where I had failings, where I, did, I didn't have the sustainability, the endurance with that brotherly love. Mine failed. I look back on that and I realize I need to pay attention to how I'm cultivating this. If I'm not cultivating it, my love can grow cold again, just like it did back then. And for all of us, our love can't grow cold. Our love has to grow. Our phileo has to lead to agape, it has to deepen, has to be cultivated. You know, this nonconformity to the world, this way of love and love and action, it's the way of the exile. Exiles, as we're called in First Peter, they don't have control, they don't have comfort, they don't have power. Those things belong to the world. As exiles, we live in a broken world, a world of drugs, a world of human trafficking, a world of abortion, a, a world of hatred, a world full of enemies whom we're called to love, a world of tribalism, a world of racial injustice, but a world that we're called to love. I, I appreciate uh, fellow evangelist Marshall Mead. He had put it this way this past week. He said, you know, when it comes to this racial injustice, I would rather be uncomfortable and be surrounded by diversity and strive for unity than be comfortable and be surrounded with uniformity and live in hypocrisy. And I love that. As exiles, we can't be hypocrites. That's the first Peter chapter two, verse one. That's the way of the world. We need to put our love in action. We need to have diversity in our unity. At the same time, we need to be so careful, so sober-minded in how we prepare our minds for action, we can't let racial justice conflate into the political realm. As disciples, politics, it, that's not our religion. We're kingdom citizens. We're exiles. We don't want to make it political, but we do want to do our part and take all of the actions that we can take. I appreciate C.S. Lewis. At the beginning of the Screwtape Letters, he had said something to this effect, the two great errors in viewing the devils or in viewing demon possession. One is to view them as being under every single bush. There's a demon under there, there's a demon there. But the other error, and an equal error, is to believe they don't exist at all. And I think that same thing applies very strongly to today. The man of God avoids all extremes. We know that this racial injustice doesn't exist under every single bush within the church. But we also know that it's not non-existent within the church. So how do we do our part to take action, to, to combat this, to, to try to weed it out? We look at ourselves. Where are our shortcomings with this? Now, I'll share another story just to talk about my own shortcomings. Remember, Peter, leader of the first century church, he had shortcomings in this area. He struggled with it, and we're not above it. We can struggle with it, too. And I remember back campus ministry days, my, my evangelist and my discipler, he was a great man. He was African-American, and so I, partially because of that, when he led the campus ministry, we had a fairly diverse campus ministry. We baptized foreign exchange students from Africa. 
We, we baptize people from everywhere, rich, poor. But I allowed myself to think, wow, just because I'm around a, a few other people who don't look like me, I must be an expert in diversity. <laughs> and, and though we had a diverse group, we never talked about it. Back then, I remember horrific injustices happened. Shooting of Michael Brown, Ferguson. Uh, the shooting of Trayvon Martin in Florida. And though these things happened, we didn't talk about it. Well, what's the big deal? It wasn't talked about. I didn't make an effort to talk about it. I didn't make an effort to seek understanding from my brothers and sisters. Yes, we were unified. Yes, we were born again, Christians first in the kingdom, and we put those things first. But we also had identities around that, perceptions around that, motives around that that existed in our heart that we needed to put in check. You know, for me, my, my discipler, same as my evangelist, he, he challenged me one day when we were speaking about Trayvon Martin, and, and he had come back to the U of O and become a student, and I was a student there, and he said, you know, Joey, you're student A, I'm student B. And I said, oh, what are you talking about? You know, we're all, we're all brothers in the Lord. He said, well, you know, close your eyes and imagine two students. So student A, student A grew up in the suburbs. Student A got straight A's. Student A plays rock and roll in a punk band. He, he loves the thermals. He's a nerd. He, he watches Game of Thrones. All right. Now, now picture Student B. Just close your eyes. Student B. Student B grew up in a, a broken home in a poor neighborhood. He went to a school where the teachers didn't really care about him, and he didn't really care about school. He got some bad grades. He sold drugs in high school. And so now, Joey, open your eyes and just tell me, when you pictured both of those students, what did they look like? And I had to admit, I, I said, you know, I, I pictured a, a white kid and an African-American. And that was just a, a stereotype that existed in my head that, that was just built into me. It, it was maybe one of the only times that we deeply talked about race but it was so eye-opening for me, just seeking that understanding. Not that I'm above it now. I, I learned just a little bit that day that I was ignorant, that there was much more to learn for me. You know, another time I had a coworker, and uh, my, my coworker was African-American. I asked him to study the Bible. He said, great. And he happened to have the same minor Japanese as my discipler had. They both studied Japanese, and and I honestly needed help studying the Bible with him. I needed my discipler to help me out here. So I said, hey, could you help me study the Bible with my coworker? His minor's Japanese. And, and you know what else? He's African-American. And I, I thought that that was harmless at the time. It may have been harmless, but I didn't think through how that was coming across. How it may have hurt my discipler for me to say, hey, you look like him. You'll probably get along. You know, years later, my discipler, my evangelist, he revealed to me, he said, you know, when the church leadership asked me to move to Eugene and lead the church, they told me that the disciples in Eugene didn't like black people. And that was around the same time he was telling me about student A, student B. He said, you know, Joey, all my life, I've been up against how people perceive me and who I really am. He always had to fight against that, an uphill battle. He always had to be climbing this ladder. He always had to be proving himself.
And though it wasn't true, nobody in the Eugene church hated black people. I don't know why leadership had told him that. But he went around feeling that. He went around thinking that that's how people viewed him. That he had to earn brotherly love within the church. I can't imagine. I can't even begin to understand what that must have felt like for him. As a leader in the church, I've been thinking so retrospectively about this recently. Where have I not educated myself about diversity? Where have I been biased? Where have I been prejudiced? And I don't want to perpetuate that in the church as a leader. I, as a leader, I want to apologize. I want to apologize for where I have not sought compassion, where I haven't sought understanding, sympathy, for where I've been ignorant, where I've been biased, given into social pressure, for where I've been prejudiced. Please forgive me for these struggles. I want to have a sincere brotherly love. I want to have an earnest and fervent love in the church. And I sincerely believe that the world doesn't have the answers to all of these problems with racial injustice. I sincerely believe that the kingdom and the word of God has these answers. So we've talked about how to cultivate this love. We've talked about what it looks like, what it doesn't look like. How do we keep it going now that we've acknowledged it, now that it's out there? Peter's first illustration was, was having the living and abiding Word of God, having this incorruptible seed, placing our, our faith and our hope fully in, in this gospel, and the overflow of that would be this earnest love. But he gives another illustration in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3. through 3. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter uses this illustration to, to conclude his argument here of a newborn baby longing for pure spiritual milk, to grow up on that milk. Man, uh, having a, a daughter who's seven weeks old now, Sersha, it's crazy how much she wants that milk. It's like fighting a little badger sometimes to get her to take a bottle of formula. She knows it's not the real milk. And man, if she could talk, she'd be telling everyone how great this pure spiritual milk is. You know, Sersha, she couldn't survive without that milk. She couldn't be sustained without that milk. She couldn't grow without that milk. Some of us, you know, elsewhere, Paul challenges us to take on the meat. But even as we take on the meat, we need to continue tasting and yearning for this milk. And just as we were born again by believing in the gospel and the word of God, we're continued, we continue to be sustained by it. Man, I stop right here, and again, thinking retrospectively about myself growing in my brotherly love and with the racial injustices we've seen this past week. And one thing I was quick to admit was, I'm ignorant. Well, I'm just ignorant. Please forgive me. Please educate me. And well, well, that's good, and people should seek education, and people should admit where they have blind spots, where they have ignorance. There's a subtle thing I have to be careful of, which is being a victim. Well, hey, don't look at me. Don't blame me. I, I'm just ignorant. Oh, just educate me. 
I'm a newborn babe, coddle me, nurture me, give, give me the education, and then, you know, I won't do it again. I was just ignorant. And Well, that's not what I was saying by saying I'm ignorant. I need to be careful not to be a victim. I need to be careful not to, to be an infant in these matters. Because truth be told, I know better. Truth be told, I, I know where the sin is in my life. Truth be told, I don't need to be babied. I need to be held accountable to repent in these matters. I need to grow up. I need to repent where I've been biased. I, I need to repent where I've struggled with e even joking about racial issues. I need to repent and I need to be held accountable to that. I, so I do not want to be a victim. I, I need to grow out of that infancy. You can take those same actions this week. Read through Romans 12. Keep reading through it until your life actually looks like it. That's my challenge right now. As I read through that chapter, when is my life going to actually show this? When is the world going to look at me and say, hey, you're too radical of a kingdom citizen? I think right now the world looks at me and says, hey, you're pretty comfortable and you look just like people in the world look. I need to change the way I'm loving others. Let's go to God in a word of prayer. Father God, uh, a lot to this message today, really centering around verse 22. Love sincerely, not hypocritically. To love earnestly and fervently, not just in words, but in deeds, God. I pray that we can have affection for others, compassion for others. Honor one another is above ourself, God. God, I just ask for your forgiveness to where I haven't lived up to loving others in the respect of seeking understanding, of seeking empathy for others in the church and in the world, God. God, it isn't easy to be exiles. It isn't easy to be uncomfortable. It isn't easy to have a nonconformity. It isn't easy to cultivate a passion for holiness, but God, we know that the more we taste this pure spiritual milk, the more that we look at this gospel, the more that we see how good you are, it inspires us to be good. God, help us to follow in your footsteps. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Bend ICOC podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening with us today. If you have, be sure to subscribe, review, and share with your friends. Thank you.